You're listening to Nobody's Perfect, a community built to support, inspire, and empower Colorado youth and families. Our mission is to collaboratively break down stigma and offer solutions to the mental health and well-being challenges we all can face. Nobody's Perfect is powered by the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, Arapahoe-Douglas Counties, and NAMI, Colorado. Here, we don't dwell on appearances, expectations, or the pursuit of perfection. Our primary goal is to foster a welcoming environment for candid, inspirational conversations. Our sole mission is to tap into the strength of shared storytelling, delivering you valuable resources that cultivate fresh perspectives, grounded in compassion, emotional resilience, and hope. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and thrilled to have you join us for this transformative conversation. In each episode, you'll hear from fearless experts, community advocates, leaders, parents, and other supporters of youth who have chosen to raise their voices to remind teens and families that despite life's most pressing hurdles, everyone deserves to be seen, heard, and valued. Each episode will spark meaningful conversations between youth and their families, which often poses as a major hurdle in effectively communicating the challenges associated with mental health conditions. Together, we'll explore a wide range of topics, including challenges that can arise in our daily lives. We'll explore topics like depression, anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorders, bullying, gender identity, school violence, and more. Our guest experts will introduce innovative approaches to help you navigate these everyday challenges, foster informed next-level communication, and share valuable support resources that meet you where you are. Tune in every other week on Cozy101.com slash imperfect as we come together to embrace the shared human experience. Through respect, empathy, and impactful action, we aim to make a bigger impact right here in Colorado. Nobody is perfect because perfection isn't real. Your story is. Thank you for joining us today. I am your host, Jason Hopkins, and I am so thrilled to have this conversation. Today, I've got my co-host, Amy Staley, with us, who is a licensed clinical social worker, as well as um, a guest that I've been uh, vastly interested in having a conversation with, Jamie Harker. Jamie is a um, recent graduate with her master's in social work and a mother of five here in Colorado, and really um, interesting to have interested to having a conversation around parenting and navigating the ups and downs of parenthood in today's world and how you do things differently when you have child children that have different needs. Um, so welcome, Amy and Jamie. It's um, a pleasure to have you guys here today. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. So as we get into this, Amy, I know you and Jamie have a personal connection and have worked together for quite some time. I'd love for you to give us your perspective on why it was important for us to have this conversation with Jamie now, aside from what I just shared, and then we'll get into the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Jamie, thank you so much for being here and for um, agreeing to come on and talk with us today. Um, Jamie and I first met in um, 2020. Uh, she was an MSW intern. At that time, um, I was working in a school and um, she came and worked with me. And um, actually, Jamie, I'm kind of giggling to myself. I'm sitting here thinking of all the videos we made sending home to kids and how you were like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to get over being on the video all the time. And here we are again. <laughs> um, I was on like, oh, video. it was yes, preparation the- and planning. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Jamie, um, as Jason shared, is a mom of five. And so she completed her master's in social work program over four four years. Um, And so she would go to the class for a year and then the following year have an internship um, as she was doing it part-time. And so I was lucky enough to be her supervisor for her first internship. And 
from that moment, um, I gave Jamie a lot of praise and feedback because I think she just did a beautiful job of integrating what she learned in the classroom, integrating um, the education and getting her master's in social work, along with the skill set that she brought as being a parent. Um, I feel like she's really authentic and engaging with people um, because she brings that human experience and that relatability uh, into clinical practice while also um, connecting with parents and connecting with others just person to person. And I know I've even talked to her about my own parenting um, and utilized her as a resource because I feel like she um, is so relatable and is approachable. So I'm personally um, feel lucky that Jamie considered and did accept kind of coming on the show with us um, to talk a little bit more about her experiences as an MSW and as a mom. Um, Jamie, I'm confident there's pieces that I'm leaving out um, in regards to your professional career. Um, is there anything else you would want to share with folks to introduce yourself as we get started here? I think you pretty much covered it. I took a long break. Um, I had my first child in 2007. And so I spent some time as solely a stay-at-home parent until about 2019 when I decided to go back for my MSW degree. So it was a big life shift for all of us, but it's turned out really well. Um, so yeah, so I had experience as a parent. Now I'm getting back into the field of social work again. I love it. Well, it's so great to have you guys both here today. You know, and as I mentioned earlier, the conversation we really want to have is is navigating the ups and downs of parenting in today's world. I mean, as we know, there is no, you know, go-to manual for how to do this. And especially being a mom of five, Jamie, tell us a little bit about, you know, the differences among your kids and how parenting them the same might not be the right approach to meeting their needs and meeting them where they are. Yeah, absolutely. So having five kids um, is a lot. I actually was the oldest of five kids. So I feel like I had some idea of what I was getting into. But at the same time, the world is so different and things are so different now. And it's different with having a perspective as a parent that having all of these five different people with different personalities, different interests, different challenges and different strengths, um, it can be a lot to manage. So, you know, each of them have great things that they bring to the table and all of them have different growth edges that we're working to navigate and learn about. Um, I shared with Jason that three of my kiddos have an ADHD diagnosis and all three of them present very differently. And so learning how to give each one of them what they, what they need, even though they all have the same diagnosis, it's, even that is different within each one of them. So learning how to advocate, learning what they need, um, it can be a real challenge as a parent. Absolutely. You know, Jamie, um, when I called you up and asked if you would consider um, joining us on the podcast, I felt like pretty quickly you were like, oh, absolutely. I would definitely be into that. Can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to wanting to join this conversation with us today and um, what feels important to you about being here today? 
Yeah. Well, I'm excited about the podcast. I know it's just starting, um, but I'm excited about what the work you guys are doing and just the name of the podcast of Nobody's Perfect. I think just that name uh, really draws me in personally because I think there's so many expectations placed on us as parents that we get it right the first time. You know, we know a lot more about um, what impact we have on our kids. So I think sometimes that pressure to really always be doing the right thing, saying the right thing, um, you know, not getting triggered and maybe doing things that we regret later, it can be really heavy as a parent. And then managing that in a place where we do have connection, but we're also doing this a lot in our own bubble. Um, I just really appreciate the idea of talking about our struggles, our successes in a way that we're not expecting perfection out of ourselves. It's so important. Well, you know, and when we started this, I mean, this is built upon five years of work of meeting with youth and our four youth by youth initiative and parents. And I have to say, perfectionism was the one word that was kind of the, the thread that pulled through all of this. And, you know, whether you're a youth or you're an adult parent or not, you know, we all have this high need to show up and be perceived as we did it perfectly. And the reality is, is there is no perfection, hence the name Nobody's yeah. Perfect. You know, what I love about this, this conversation we're having is just the rawness of being able to admit that, that, that perfection is an illusion. It's, it's not a reality. But help me from your lens better understand this concept of perfectionism and how, you know, I know you have to engage with other parents all the time. Like, let's normalize the conversation then what you're experiencing is not unique to you that that anybody and everybody might be feeling the same way yeah well I think from the time that you have these little babies come into your life there's this narrative that goes on around you and in your head of like you only have this short amount of time with them you only get these 18 years I remember when my oldest turned nine it was I don't know if you guys heard of the term halftime, like you're at halftime, you're already halfway done with the time with your kids. And it felt like so much pressure to get everything you need done. And when, so when my oldest turned nine, I had that thought going through my head of, have I done enough? Have I prepared her enough? Like, have I given her all the skills that she needs? And so that constant expectation of we only get this one chance and we better not mess it up. I can weigh heavy. And I've heard that from other people as well as feeling that within myself that you get, you know, the short amount of time with your kids. And I don't think that's actually reality though. You know, my kids are getting older and we're looking ahead to college and I'm seeing the relationship that we're forming beyond them as children. And I realized, we have a long time together. <laughs> it's not Life all goes on after high school. Done. Yeah, by the time they turn 18, it's not like they're we're going to turn them out and never have any connection beyond that. And so just taking that pressure off a little bit helps with I think that idea that you've got one shot to make it right. Hmm. I feel like that's really interesting because as we were preparing for this and Jason and I talked about a couple of questions or pieces we wanted to bring up that that wasn't on my radar but I, I as a parent myself even when you just said that out loud like my heart was like oh nine halftime like you're right there is a lot of, of pressure of um, they're only young for this amount of time they're only you know going to want to experience x y and z enjoy the hugs while you have them because they're not going to want to do you know all of these things that society tells us about parenting and about our limited time, um, I think 
that really does add to the the pressure of perfectionism. Um, and I really appreciate that reflection because it's honestly something I hadn't um, necessarily thought of, but um, I do think that that contributes to our perfection um, and yeah. pressure, that pressure piece. You know, with that being said, um, what do you what do you think are pieces that would be important for us as parents to think of to do our best to give ourselves breaks with that? I mean, I think parents we put just as much pressure on ourselves as um, potentially society puts on us, or um, you know, potentially the perfectionism pressure that our kids are feeling. What what is your thought on? Um, how to acknowledge that to yourself or recognize, ooh, when is perfectionism maybe what's driving what I'm doing or this limited time driving versus, um, you know, how I'm wanting to show up for my kids? I don't know. Do you have a yeah. thought on that? Yeah. So what's coming to my mind is um, in my graduate program, when we talked about the therapeutic relationship, there was this idea of rupture and repair. And I felt a lot of pressure last year, my internship, when I was starting to do one-on-one -on -one individual therapy, and I had to do everything right. I had to say the right thing all the time. I had to, you know, be perfect, have the right answers, never mess up. And something that I learned in my classes and in my internship was there's a lot of growth and sometimes the most growth and the most like um, healing that people have is in that rupture and repair. And so with our kids, we're never going to be able to be perfect. That's just an unrealistic standard. So how can we use those opportunities where maybe we aren't perfect or we don't get it right as an opportunity um, for growth in our relationship to sit down with our kids and be like, Hey, I messed up and I'm really sorry. And I've seen those moments when with my own kids where I've had to sit down with them and say like, Hey, I didn't like how I acted yesterday. And I didn't handle that the way I wanted to and how that like not being perfect. Um, but using that to foster conversation with them creates to even stronger relationships and more trust with us. So using those opportunities when we're not perfect to build our relationship with our kiddos, I think is really important. You know, I think even as early as last week, I had a meeting with a youth advisory council here locally. And what I took away from meeting with these really bright young people was the the element of how they want to have conversations, healthier conversations with their parents. And there's often this disconnect. And what came up and was sort of reiterated in multiple uh, feedback that I received was this element of parents often don't share enough about their own journey or their own experiences that kind of normalize, hey, I made a lot of mistakes too going along the way. And I'm not sitting at this place on high today telling you how to do everything the right way. And what I really see validated from youth today is them wanting their parents to talk to them. You know, I think I think there's an element of when I look at, you know, where some of the disconnects are created in parents. And I know I know there are a lot of parents out there feeling like I don't know how to connect with my youth. I think there's that that terrible T word in the middle of it, technology, that has driven a wedge in so much of our conversation. And the thing that I'm acutely aware of is, you know, as parents, we, most of us are adapters to technology versus our kids are native to technology. And there is a, a huge disconnect between what our kids know and what we know. And I, and I find that chasm between it often becomes, you know, a limitation in parents showing up to really effectively uh, meet their kids where they are because they don't understand. And, and, and frankly, I believe 
there's some fabulous conversation to be had around the fact that I don't understand this. And can you teach me and, and bring me further along versus the other way around? How have you seen, I know that was a long-winded way of getting to, how have you seen technology playing a role in connection or disconnection in, in your family? Sure. It is a very different world. I mean, my kids, I I think it's called like a millennial where you're kind of in that in-between generation of where you didn't grow up with the internet, but you started to have it maybe in high school or college, right. like right in that generation. So my kids' favorite story is that I learned how to type in sixth grade on a typewriter. <laughs> like, <laughs> I went to school with a room full of typewriters and learned how to type. And they're like, oh my gosh, you are so old. But then by the time I was in high school, my dad was on the forefront of like technology. So we did end up having the internet and like different ways to start connecting on time or online. So it's like this really weird position of like, yeah, we didn't have technology, but then we were kind of getting introduced to it. And I think it's hard because, you know, a lot of things in parenting, we rely on our own experiences and we give that to our kids of like, here's what it was like for me, but not having any social media or really even like anything close to the technology that they have today can really create a barrier and like I don't know what this experience is like for you can you tell me what it's like um a conversation that I've had with my kids surrounding social media um because as a parent it's hard like I feel like the research is coming out more now but when my kids first turned teenagers it wasn't as much there so we're kind of going on like our gut and what we're hearing and and do we let these kids have social media and so something that I had a conversation around my kids with is like social media is hard for me to manage like I don't know how I expect you at like 12 with an undeveloped brain to be able to manage all these things that are hard for me so I think being open with them about like how to technology affects us but then also asking them like how does this affect you and also you know learning from them I when I started my grad program I had to ask my kids to teach me how to make a powerpoint (laughs) they were they thought it was so funny but like they were willing to get in there with me and help me and so I think like just being open to learning from them as well um helps them feel some value in what they can offer to us as parents too. And it becomes less of a one-way relationship. And I think that's so important for anybody to listen to really, again, not a novel concept here, but really realizing that, you know, communication is a two-way street and there may be some places that your, your teen or your youth is further down the path than you are with understanding. I think there's a phenomenal opportunity to learn. And I'm, I'm recognizing that, you know, not all, conversations are as easy as we're making them out to be here. I think there is a great opportunity here that if you enter the conversation from the space of, I want to know more about what you know, you know, what I know about the human psyche is most of us want to be heroes. So if, if you can give somebody, you know, uh, your child, the opportunity to share what they know in a way that helps you grow and learn, like, I think there's a pretty interesting connection point there. The thing that it sparked for me and knowing that you've got five kids and you're adapting into technology with them, help me understand how have you guys um, navigated setting healthy boundaries around the use of technology in, in your house? Because I know yeah. that comes up a lot. That has been, I think, the biggest, <clears throat> one of the biggest challenges we have faced. Um 
we had a rule that our kids couldn't get a cell phone until middle school. And so for me, I was like, you know, you don't really need a cell phone um, that does all this other stuff. Well, what I started to realize is, you know, I remember being on the phone, you know, we'd pick up the landline and tie up our phones all night talking to our friends. And I think that was an important part of my development with social relationships. Excuse me. I had to come to the conclusion that that looks differently for this generation. They're doing that social connecting, not on the landlines on their phone, but through texting. So how could we give our kids the opportunity to have that social connection and have that important piece of development development while also protecting them from some of the really big challenges and I would even say dangers that can be online. Um, so we sat down with our kids. Um, so far, it's only really been our older two. My third just started middle school. So he's just entering into, you know, what it's like to have a phone um, and talk to them and just had a really open dialogue with them about the social media pieces. Their friends were starting to get social media and we pulled out the research. Okay. Like this is what it's showing. This is what it could possibly affect you in this way. This is the effect it could possibly have on your brain. And for us, and this may not be the right answer for everyone. We made a hard rule that social media wasn't going to be an option in middle school. I feel like middle school is one of the most challenging times in a kid's life. And so introducing that in middle school is just seemed like it was going to present more of a challenge. Um, then we opened up that conversation again when they got to high school. Um, and at this time, both my older kids are like, no, we've like gone this long without it. We don't want it. But it's constantly a conversation that we readdress, readdress. So it's not just a one and done, but it's an ongoing conversation and getting their input about like how might social media affect you if you have it? How might it affect you if you don't have it? And so that's been really important to get their input on that as well. So you setting and you know, maintaining so really healthy boundaries has been value added. Sorry, Amy. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, I really appreciate your perspective and, and kind of the way that your family has discussed this value um, so openly. And like you said, it's not a one and done. It's an ongoing conversation. Um, I'm also aware for some folks, because of this perfectionism pressure, because of, you know, other stressors in life, time, um, things along those lines, we might not know how to start some of these conversations. And I'm just curious, you know, when you're, you're talking about your vulnerability, when you don't know something with your kids, when you're talking about um, ways that you're sitting down and engaging them in conversation and engaging them to use critical thinking skills about how they want to relate to social media or engage with it or not. Um, for some folks, it might be like, where do we start? And, you know, I think we've had a lot of conversations, you know, out, outside of this podcast about how parents and youth at times are just, um, struggling to kind of start the conversation, struggling to yeah. maybe hear each other talking about the exact same topic, but potentially both walking away with kind of a different perspective. Do you have any suggestions on, um, conversations that, are an easy starting place for folks. For a parent who might be like, okay, I want to try this. I want to try and be more vulnerable, but I, where where would I start with that? Um, or for a youth that might want to engage with their parents and um, try to talk to their parents about their perspective differently. Um, again, I know Jason sh uh, brought up that you probably talked to a lot of other parents. So whether that be from conversations from um, you know people that you engage with or yourself, just 
where, where should somebody start? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, what's coming up for me, and this may not be a specific topic to introduce things, but I think just being vulnerable and honest that it may be a little clumsy. It may be a little awkward. These are new conversations. So I remember, you know, getting ready to have you talk about like puberty and sex and that with my kids. And when we sat down, I told them like, this is not something that I have a lot of experience with. So I'm going to be a little awkward. I'm going to be a little clumsy, but can we push through and get through these? Like, can we push through the awkwardness so that it becomes more comfortable? And so I think just sometimes, you know, naming it, like this may feel a little different. We're not used to having conversations like that. And just naming that to start with can kind of bring the tension down a little and also eliminate that need for it to look perfect because everybody's on the same page that it feels a little bit awkward to first start. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm curious too, you talked about this a little bit earlier about how all five of your kids may or may not have different needs. Um, Even three that might have a similar diagnosis, you might need to engage with them differently. So when we're bringing these pieces up, how do you adjust um, the way that you're engaging with your kids depending on their needs um, when you're approaching these conversations? Yeah, Um, that is so true that all of them are different and they have different personalities. You know, there's some of my kids that I'll be like, how was your day? And they'll just be like, fine, move on. And I have a couple other ones that I'll ask how their day was. And three hours later, I'm like, okay, I think, I think I got it. (laughs) Did you miss anything? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think I know every single detail of what happened in your day today. So just recognizing that different personalities may need different things. So some of my kids, I'm thinking of one in particular, just really need some time to decompress after school to where if I start bombarding them with questions, um, they're going to shut down. And so I've learned, and it's taken a while to learn that they may need 30 minutes before I ask them anything about their day. And they may need like really specific questions that day. Oh, tell me like, how was English today? Did you turn in that assignment? How did it go? Who did you eat lunch with? They need like really specific questions to get the conversation going. Some of those other kids I discussed, you know, they'll get in the car and they'll immediately need to unload. So just preparing myself to be like, okay, what do I need to do beforehand to be able to like take all this information in without like um, zoning out or maybe, you know, not being fully present with them. So just getting to know that like it might, it's not going to look the same for each of your kids. Some of them, they don't want to have the conversation, some of these harder conversations with anybody around. They want it to be really private. So hey, can we go over into this other room or could we go on a drive to have this conversation? Whereas other of them, they want everybody's input. So just really taking the time to learn what each individual kid needs, it can be really stressful. That can be overwhelming, but I think it's really important. Well, and and what what's coming up for me, because I mean, I'm in awe of you. You sound like super mom doing this all so beautifully, <laughs> um, you know? If I'm listening and I'm really struggling myself, and that's come out of, out of a lot of the data about how many parents are struggling with their own mental health challenges or issues, or I've got a really demanding job and maybe I don't have the time to engage or be present in the way that I want to, help us understand from your perspective, how does somebody that's listening navigate those bandwidth issues of 
still showing up and having the important conversation when really maybe they're struggling up to show up for themselves first. Yeah, that hits so hard for me right now. I know on Monday, there was just so much going on in my household. It was so crazy. And having ADHD myself, I got really overstimulated. And I went up to my room and cried for about five minutes because I was like, I'm just so overstimulated. <laughs> and just recognizing that, I mean, like, I got to step out for a second because I'm so overstimulated. Um, that's important. But I think also, you know, I've seen a lot of people talk about how we're kind of this bridge generation of like, we're healing our own triggers and trying to do better for our kiddos. And so just taking the time to learn, like, what are our own triggers? Like, what if like one of my kids does something that I may not even recognize triggers something in me from like childhood or an experience that I've had that I may react in a way that has nothing to do with my child, but has to do with something that's being triggered in me. So, you know, if therapy is accessible, I I think that's a great way to start to learn. You know, our kids bring up so much. Like I remember having my oldest and seeing some things that her perfectionism, especially that I'm like, I don't know how to fix that in myself. Like how do I, how am I supposed to know how to like help my child navigate this? And so like reaching out for, you know, maybe support through therapy, um, you know, recognizing that taking time for ourselves to build up that bandwidth, um, whatever that looks like for you, how you engage in self-care, is that yoga, is that working out, is that spending time with friends, is that recognizing that like, hey, my kid needs 30 minutes to compress at this time. I may need 30 minutes after homework and dinner and that chaos to just take a minute and reset myself so that I can re-engage for bedtime. And so I think just learning what those triggers are and learning how we can manage them and practice our own self-care can help us to be more present and more engaged with our kids. Well, frankly, it sounds you know, like a way to normalize you know, what they're going through, through your own experience, which, which honestly sounds like a place to connect from. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I was just going to, I was just going to bring that up. Cause I think you're doing a beautiful job of talking about how you are vulnerable with your kids as a way for modeling some of these. Um, but also recognizing that there might be times that we need a minute to kind of get ourselves together before we're able to model that and right. um, allowing ourselves that space. Right. So it's, yeah. it's also, what I'm hearing from you is how do I honor myself? How do I take care of myself and, and heal pieces for me so that I can show up and be my best self and I can model that I do yoga or I do these pieces, but also being aware of what's for us to own as adults and hold um, versus, you know, then kind of sharing everything with our kids, right? And then holding those Absolutely. pieces as well. Um, because I think you know, once that, that door opens, um, I could see it being a slippery slope as well. Like, Oh, today, you know, I'm having a rough day and, and that's okay. How do we name that? Um, but potentially be aware of kind of holding that space for ourselves. Absolutely. Um, so we, <clears throat> this is a little bit personal, but my parents both passed away about seven years ago and it was a really tough time in our family. And I was struggling with how much do I show my kids? Like how much emotion do I show my kids? Obviously, you know, the times of like more raw grief, I sheltered them from, but there, there would be times when my kids would come up to me and be like, are you okay? Like you seem sad. And I really think if I told them I'm fine, don't worry about it. I was 
teaching them not to trust their inner voice and their own empathy that they were reading of other people by lying to them and being like, oh, I'm actually fine, even though they could clearly tell I wasn't okay. So how did I model being like, you know what, thank you so much for asking. Today, I'm a little bit sad and like, here's how I'm going to take care of it. And like, this is not yours to own. You know, this is how I'm going to take care of myself, but also not necessarily hiding away from them, like that we're humans and we have real feelings and how do we manage those? Um, Cause I felt like not to overuse the term gaslighting, but I felt like it was gaslighting a little bit to always just be like, I'm okay. I'm okay. And then they were learning not to trust what they were reading in other people. Well, I think thank I, you. I think this goes back to and and thank you for your empathy there or your share there. Um, you know, we're humans having a human experience, and I think that certain things happen in life, and we immediately move in our heads that we've got to be a certain way or show up a certain way. You know, and and I always laugh. You know, I, I've gotten very casual as I've gotten more comfortable in my own skin, and I laugh and say, if it doesn't have elastic pants, I'm not wearing it. Although I do have on jeans today. <laughs> um, but the reality is, is, I think that there, as we evolve as adults, you know, we gravitate to being more comfortable in our own skin. And I think the more that we're able to do that in our own journey, the easier it is for us to model that in other people. So, for anybody that's listening, again, I. I I want to normalize we are humans having a human experience like and and you two are parents and certainly would love the validation of there there is no chance you're going to do any of this perfectly so like the fact that we put that pressure on ourselves from the get go is is so ludicrous to me because it's not even real like mm-hmm. it's not even possible yeah and i think recognizing that day to day you know, you always want to be giving your best to your kids and you want to be doing like the most that you can for them. But also recognizing that that doesn't look the same like day to day. Like there may be a day that the best I can give my kids is driving through Chick-fil-A for dinner. (laughs) And that's like what I have to give that day. But I still like giving my best Whereas, like, you know, another day I may be able to make a whole homemade like meal and be really present and all of that. And that's my best that day. It's just not going to look the same every day. Cause as you said, like we're human and we can't be robots in this parenting experience. It's just not a reasonable expectation. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious too, Jamie, you know, one thing that just came up for me um, in thinking about this is how have you noticed a difference in kind of some of your expectations or what that might look like after you've gone through your master's program um, and you have your MSW versus, um, you know, parenting before? Because I know even when Jason's just said, okay, you guys are both parents. You probably put a lot on yourself. I know for myself, I'm like, gosh, I like, I have a master's in this. I should know what's going on with my kid's developmental stage right now, instead of being like, why are you crying? Can you just stop? Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I think that um, it just plays into that piece, right? That internal voice, the pressures that we put on ourselves. But um, I'm curious if, and you've kind of brought it up a couple of times of thinking of how you've, of you've compared things to like, you know, the rupture component and um, repair, but is there anything else that came up for you or that you've noticed that's been different um, for you as somebody who has a master's in social work? Yeah. 
Well, I think, yes, I am like resonating so much when you say that, like you have a lot more expectations on yourself. Like um, one of my kiddos was having just a rough day and, you know, they went to the school counselor the other day and I was so grateful for that. But I was also like, am I not doing enough to help them at home? And so like that expectation of like, I should know all of these things can be really overwhelming. Um and I remember one time I was in a class where we were talking about something with kids and I thought, oh, I have really messed that up. And so I stayed after to talk to my professor for a minute and she's like, that's okay. She's like, I mess up things all the time. And again, back to that rupture and repair, she's like, you just apologize. And she, and she said like, that's what will make the difference in like this generation going forward is we own that. Like we maybe don't always know better, but we're learning how to do better and we can own it and like apologize to our kids and have that conversation with them. So I think again, like, you know, I think it's easy to do, especially like now that I do have my master's, I feel like, oh, I should know everything. But I think any parent places unrealistic expectations on themselves. So I think it's just part of the gig of like, I should know all of this and they're my child. I should know everything about them. And it's just not realistic. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I couldn't agree the same in, in relationships with your boss, with a partner, a spouse, like, you know, there are always going to be those pieces of, of somebody else that we don't fully know. And we may not find out until something bad happens or never, but I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't, this conversation is not steeped in the reality that we're ever going to know everything about everybody right. or that we're ever going to actually show up and be perfect. One of the things I'd love for us to spend a few minutes talking about, I know you're helping us with a project at NAMI ADCO, um, specifically related to resources and the accessibility of resources. And we've talked a lot about how hard it is when somebody is struggling, whether it's yourself or your, your child or spouse, whatever, to get connected to resources in today's world. Like, tell me your experience about, you know, the understanding of resources and getting connected to those in a time of challenge or struggle. Yeah. And I think this kind of goes to what Amy was talking about is that, you know, I did my internship at a school. And so I knew about IEPs. I knew about 504s. I had participated in that process. So when my kids started receiving ADHD diagnoses, I felt like I should know exactly how to handle this. I should know how to navigate. I should know exactly what to ask for. And it was, um, the process was so daunting being in it from a personal place. And it was so challenging for me to navigate um, that I realized that the system isn't always set up for us to know exactly what to do or um, where to go. And sometimes we have too much information um, where it's like, you can look online and find a million different things. And how do you sort through all of that to get through maybe what's accurate, what's misinformation, what's going to be most applicable to your own situation. So it can get to the point where that information can be so overwhelming, it can shut us down, or it can be difficult to find. Like, it's all of those things at once. And that, that piece in and of itself, I think can just cause a lot of, for me at least, like discouragement in navigating the process. Um, so I'm not sure if that fully answers your question, but no, I just think- it does, but I think what's coming up is like, if somebody doesn't have your education or background and they know that they've got things at yeah. home that they're dealing with, where do they start? Yeah, and that is the hardest thing, I think, to just get started. Because I, I started recognizing some signs of ADHD in one of my kiddos 
And it was like, wait, what, where do I go? Like, who do I talk to? Am I going to face six month wait list? And so just finding a starting point can be so tricky, you know, in our case for what, and again, back to looking different for each of our kids, it looked different for every one of my kids that got an ADHD diagnosis. One of them, we went to the doctor, one of them, we went to um, like a mental health place. One of them, we went straight to the psychologist for testing. So even in like something that should look the same, it looks different. And so, um, you know, that's part of the reason I'm so excited about being a part of this project project is to hopefully make that easier because as I'm sitting here like racking my brain for a good answer of where do you start I mean honestly I don't there's really not know a good answer. <laughs> there's yeah. not a good answer <laughs> I want to give you like the cookie cutter like this is exactly what you do but if I'm being completely honest I don't actually know sometimes that's a great well, answer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's important. And when I was bringing up the the pressures that you maybe put on yourself after you got your master's and some of my um, vulnerability with that, you know, I think it's super important to normalize for folks because I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, I should jot this down. Jamie just had a really great parenting tip, right? Um, and as somebody listening, if they're like, oh, well, yeah, she's talking about that. She has her master's in social work. Like, of course, you know, those are great ideas. But I think all of us need to know, even when we have that education, even when we have these pieces, even when we're coming to the table, there's still these struggles. There's still these yeah. pieces that come up. There's still challenges in navigating the system. And so I want people to feel connected and joined with all of us in this conversation and that all of us are struggling with some of these pieces, yeah. right? This is this is all of us as humans trying to navigate it, trying to figure it out. Um, the amount of times, Jamie, I'm thinking when you and I were helping um, some families get connected to resources in the community that you and I sat there and took turns making phone calls for yeah. 15, 20 minutes just until we got one answer so that we could give a family a one phone call instead of them spending that time, right? Yeah. Like trying to validate for folks that, it might be exhausting. It might be overwhelming, but be persistent with it. You know, do your follow-up phone calls, follow up with your pediatrician. Um, as you just shared, you had three different entryways in supporting your kiddos. And that's might be the reality of where things are at right now, right? Well, I think yeah. that all of us um, have hopes for things to look a little bit different and there to be more accessibility. Um, and we also know the system's really flooded. And and so- um, I think that's everyone an important on the piece side, though. The system being flooded, I mean, again, to normalize things, to recognize that we have a system that is inundated with demand that it was never designed to meet. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I got three outreach emails this morning and doing the work that that I do at NAMI. And, and you know, frankly, it's people reaching out for support. And how do I get um, support in this time when I've got a really kind of acute situation going on? And not knowing exactly where to plug people in. Like, I have my list of resources, but I think what's different is... I'm wanting us to shorten the process and and the the path to get somebody connected to something that can help them sooner rather than later. The thing that 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 I'm I'm sparked by in listening to both of you share your own vulnerabilities here as parents is, and I see this so often in parents um, when my kids struggling or they're a mirror for things that I see in myself. You know, really there's often a lot of denial around not supporting your kids sooner because it may in your mind reflect poorly on who you are as a parent or unhealed parts of yourselves. Can you guys talk a little bit more about that? Because I think there are a lot of parents who perhaps delay just out of their own 
station point in their story. Maybe they're not as healed in certain things as they need to be to show up to support their kids. Like, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, Jamie, if you're okay, I'll jump in real quick and then you can add to that. Um, you know, I think an important piece of that, you know, when we think of trauma and the ways that trauma, um, plays a role in our lives, oftentimes there are pieces of our own childhood, our own lives that we have kind of closed off, right? It might be sort of subconscious for us. So there might also be things that we might even see in our kids and we might not even be aware that it's triggering something in us. We might not be aware that 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 maybe still has a place in our brain and our body um, in a way that we we hadn't we thought maybe we'd moved on from. Um, and so I think there's pieces that you're what you're discussing there, Jason, when oop, we notice something and yeah, I'm not really ready to deal with that for myself. So yeah, I'm gonna pause on on dealing with that for my kid. But there's also pieces that people might not even fully be in touch with themselves that they've had an experience that's still sitting with them. Um, And they might see this in their kids easier than they see it in themselves, right? Um, There might be the opposite of like, let me get them help because something's going on there, right? And and I want to make sure that I get them the support they need, but they might not necessarily slow down and realize that that is bringing something up for themselves. Um, That's why I think this is so hard and complex. And, um, you know, Jamie, obviously feel free to jump in and add here, but I think this is kind of what you were alluding to of um, this generation of trying to heal ourselves so we can be present for our kids um, and and how times have changed with some of that. Um, So Jamie, what would you add as far as what Jason's comment and question was there? Well, yeah, I think what's coming up for me as you're talking about that, like healing ourselves as we're like helping our kids is that experience can be so overwhelming. And if you maybe have a child with like extra challenges or, you know, even just life right now, you know, we faced a pandemic, we are facing like all these like global stressors of like inflation and like, you know, we are navigating so much as parents. And then if you have a kiddo that maybe needs some extra support and you're trying to offer that themselves, like this process can be so overwhelming that you may not feel like you have the bandwidth to really take care of it all because you're just trying to survive. And I think so many of us are just like in survival mode right now of like, oh my gosh, like groceries are so much more money. Like they're so much more expensive now. And like, how am I going to take care of like these basics? And, you know, oh, and now I've got to like add, like getting them this help. Like, um, and I think there's also a piece that I wanted to name of, you know, when we're dealing with our kids, it's sometimes I think I've noticed in like my own circles of friends, like it can be harder to reach out for support in some of these things because we're trying to protect our kiddos right to privacy. And we want to maybe not share all of our kids like own struggles and what they're going through because, you know, they have a right to privacy too. And so that may limit the support that we can get from places that we may normally get support. So how, again, like, I wish I like had a more clear cut answer of like how we solve this problem. But I just want to name that, like, just surviving right now and like coming off the pandemic and the challenges that presented and the ways our kids are like adjusting from that and like the increased pressures on mental health that, you know, that presented for all of us. Like, I just, again, don't really have an answer beyond like, I just want to name that like this whole process can be overwhelming in the best of circumstances, but it's really challenging. And if you're 
at home trying to support a kiddo and then trying to do all the things outside of that. I just want to name it can be really hard and challenging. Well, what I take away from both of your answers is maybe the starting point is we just have to breathe first. You yeah. Know, just take a collective moment to sit down and just breathe. You know, I think what gives fits and starts to these conversations and why I'm so grateful to be having them with, with people like you, um, is this is not straightforward. There are not, there are not a one size fits all solution. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing playing out systemically is, you know, when we talk about the integration of the brain body connection and recognizing that we all have mental health because we have a brain, you know, how it manifests may not be the same as what a heart attack looks like in, a, a, you know, in a certain person or persons. Um, they're different. And even as you testified here today, testified is the wrong word, you know, uh, acknowledged today. I mean, the differences in your kids with the same diagnosis, you know, that that I think is the heart of why these conversations have failed to go further faster, because they are so different in each person. And yeah. I think, you know, just being able to show up and navigate kind of the ups and downs and, you know, being vulnerable, being able to say, I don't have the answer or being able to acknowledge that maybe I wasn't my best in that situation. I think like anything in life, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, that goes a long way and just showing up in your own humanness. Yeah, absolutely. You Is know, there Jamie, any, sorry, oh, go ahead. I was, no, I was just going to say, you know, you commented that you love the title of the podcast. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what the term nobody's perfect means to you? Yeah. So I just love that because I think it's something that I'm constantly, I'm con, you know, I always think of what am I unlearning and what am I learning? <laughs> because I think, you know, we have a lot to unlearn sometimes. So I'm unlearning like the expectations of perfection and I'm learning how to um, exist in like my own humanness and like what that means of, you know, being a whole person is not going to be, it's, going to be the ups it's going to be the downs it's going to be making mistakes and learning for them and then you know oftentimes getting it right and like celebrating the times that we get it right so I think nobody perfect to me it just encompasses the idea that we can live like a full um, life that's full of ups and downs and challenges and strengths and just taking all of that in and embracing all of it thank I you love, that's beautiful. I love that and I want to thank you both for being here today and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. I mean, I know um, there is, um, in our shared humanness, there is some growth opportunity and learning opportunities just in, in what we go through in normal co course of life. So thank you both for being here today. And thank you for listening and being a part of Nobody's Perfect, a community dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and empowering youth and families. We hope you've enjoyed this transformative conversation today. Together, we're dismantling stigma and providing solutions for the mental health and well-being challenges we all can encounter. Be sure to join us every other week on Cozy101.com imperfect to continue brace, embracing our shared human experience. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and it's been a pleasure having you here. Stay connected, stay inspired, and remember, nobody's perfect because perfection isn't real, your story is. Until next time.